Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from the exciting new app, Native Check Now. What? Please be careful too, traffic. Ugh, why didn't anyone hire a native speaker to check this? Has this ever happened to you? That menu item, that website copy, that six-year-old's t-shirt. The English is just blatantly, embarrassingly wrong. Who did this? Why spend all that money and time to make it and not just spend a little bit more to hire a native English speaker to check it? Until now, your only option was to post a picture of the offending item to social media. But what if you actually want to do something about it? Introducing Native Check Now, the app where you can instantly tag and log all instances of bad translations anywhere you come across them in Japan. When that sign above the urinal says, thank you to use the toilet beautifully, <laughs> just snap a picture of it using the in-app camera, turn on your phone's GPS to geotag the location, and type in your suggested English translation. Then, simply click the button at the bottom that says, why didn't anyone hire a native speaker to check this? We will then instantly send a push notification to your phone with the message, because no one cares. Native check now. Get over yourself. Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Matt Schley, who writes about anime and Japanese film for places like the Japan Times, Screen International, and Otaku USA magazine. Matt's joining us in between reporting from the Tokyo International Film Festival. Matt, we're glad to have you here, but we do have to apologize up front. We actually meant to book a correspondent from the Tokyo Intracoastal Flotilla Festival. Thank you for being here, though. I can understand that mix-up, but thanks for having me. On this week's show, it seems like every screen in Japan is showing the story of an epic battle against demons who sold their humanity in exchange for power. But we don't want to talk about the US election, so we're going to fanboy over Kimetsu no Yaiba. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, this week's recommendation is the Kokusai Koryu International Exchange Party Riverboat, which sails around Tokyo Bay. The all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink plan is priced at 3,000 yen for Japanese people and just 1,000 yen for foreigners, as is standard in these kind of events. But the key innovation for this cruise is that mixed-race people pay on a sliding scale according to how foreign they appear to other guests. Also, some news that mirrors the success of Demon Slayer. A brand new river cruise company absolutely smashes the records for most tickets sold in an opening weekend. We'll talk to the directors about exactly how they sold those 14 seats. But first, soap up. Matt, you're currently in the middle of reporting on the Tokyo International Film Festival. How many years is this for you, and how is it different this year? This is a good question. I think I've been going to the festival six or seven years running now. Um, this year is different because of, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. Um, there are no international guests this year, or they're beaming in by, by Skype or Zoom or whatever. So it's been a pretty, maybe chill is the wrong word, but it's been a a more subdued festival than usual. Yeah, you take away the foreigners and that tends to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, to be totally honest, I haven't, I haven't seen that many films. Uh, I've been mostly report. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right, so what you're describing is uh, of the Tokyo International Film Festival. No international. Uh, there, 
no international, no films, and doesn't films. seem like there's many festivities. No. We are in Tokyo, though, so <laughs> they got the first part right. No, All it's right, just... well, why don't we just rephrase our question? How's Tokyo? Oh, What's it's, Tokyo like? It's, you know, this is my yearly trip to Roppongi, which is, as usual, is a hive of scum and villainy. Um, <laughs> I stayed uh, a couple nights down there, so I didn't have to commute every day. Um, when I got to my hotel, there was a young woman collapsed in front of it, as is the standard in Roppongi. I told the staff at the at the lobby, hey, you might want to check on the chick downstairs. And they kind of rolled their eyes like, yeah, she's down there every night or something. Oh, uh, her again. That's Yeah, that's just the way it is in Roppongi, man. You said you haven't been getting to see many uh, films, but you're there interviewing people, right? Well, I've been to a few. Yeah, I've, I've interviewed a few of the directors that have been um, featured this year. There's a really, really interesting director named Koji Fukada. If you know, if people know him, they probably know him for a film called called Harmonium, which came out four years ago, and it did really well at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. So they're doing a retrospective of his films this year. I got to chat with him ahead of the festival, and and he's a really interesting guy. Um, he has a lot of really harsh things to say about the Japanese film industry and the Japanese government not giving enough support to filmmakers. Yeah, independent theaters have had a really hard time during the pandemic, haven't they? Well, there's that. I mean, I think his beef goes back even further. He wants Japan to be more like France or South Korea, who, who, who give a lot of support to filmmakers to make non-commercial films that do well right. at at festivals and stuff. But yeah, in terms of theaters, he was a part of a, um, uh, not a Kickstarter, but a crowdfunding effort to save a lot of those small art house theaters, which in Japan we call mini sieta. Um, and they were basically closed down and unlike big Toho theaters or something, they don't, they don't have the, the money to close down for a year or so. Yeah. Um, so he organized this crowdfunding effort to save him. And do you reckon as a foreign reporter, you have a little bit more of a pass uh, in terms of kind of asking difficult questions and getting these directors mm -hmm. to spill all? I mean, yeah, the uh, the so-called Gaijin smash uh, works even in interviews, for sure. Yeah. Even yeah. professionally. Even professionally. You just kind of pretend that you, do, you don't know that it's rude to ask that in Japanese. It's all, it works really well. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I've also found that, especially with artists, like with either musicians or actual like artists or with movie directors and things like that, there's a sense that when they're talking to a foreigner, they kind of assume that we get it in a way that Japanese people don't. Do you ever experience that? I think that talking with a foreigner gives them permission to be a little bit more open at times, yeah. Um, I think the journalists in Japan through no fault of their own, but it's this system that's built up over the decades. They all ask the exact same question. What What is that question, by the way? Can you use chopsticks? <laughs> <laughs> Can you use chopsticks? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's the combination of the Gaijin smash. It's kind of them feeling a bit more, not relaxed, but maybe more open with you to answer the questions in a different way. So it, it can lead to some interesting interviews. I mean, the the absolute best interviews that I've ever had have been with anime directors when they are abroad at a at a convention in America. Yeah. And the reason for that is they're experiencing heavy jet lag, so they just answer whatever. But <laughs> they've also, usually when you do an interview in Japan, and I'm sure you guys know this, there are two or three handlers sitting around them at mm. all times. Meddling. 
meddling, making sure they don't answer the difficult questions and things like that. So when those PR people are, are, are not there, it usually leads to a, a more compelling interview. Is that like why Japanese interviewers stick with those questions? Like, you know, tell us, tell us some fun memories from the shoot or what was it like well, working with this co-star instead of they go for like the drama and the gossip kind of questions instead of hard-hitting questions about the subject material i think there's a fear that if they ask a difficult question or a question that they don't want to answer then they won't be asked to do it again or get any more um interviews from the same production company or things like that like what's the scientific distinction between making foreigners do a pcr test and not making <laughs> japanese residents do one you should try asking that. Um, um, talking of difficult questions, we asked our guest last week a difficult question, which is what will the words of the year be? And I think they listened to the show, Bobby, because we got them all. Yeah, we nailed them. Uh, we were talking about Wase Ego and were there going to be any uh, English based pandemic words that were on the list and uh, it's out and it's the list is as infected as uh, America is. I was going to say Japan, but Japan is not that infected anymore. It's all virus words. Pandemic is on there. Social distance is on there. Sammitsu is on there. Uh, and said she expected Jishuku. One surprise was that um, we expected remote. And they don't have remote, but they have online marimaru. So instead of remote meeting or remote work, it's all online meeting or things like that. Well, we've received an online fax this week, haven't we, Bobby? We did. We got a message from the OB, the original Brian in Fukuoka. Uh, he sent us a mail and he said, Hey, boys, sorry I haven't been in touch lately, but I've been busy looking up vocab words from all the previous shows. Thanks to Bobby for preemptively defining etymology for me. Anyway, keep up the good work. And by that, I mean, keep having guests on that are more interesting than you. Shouldn't be too hard. Well, I guess that's an indication that we should shut up and start asking questions of our guests. So let's throw to the news. Bobby Juno, what's in the news this week? Well, like everybody else in the country, we feel pretty obligated to talk about Kimetsu no Yaiba. It's the anime that is taking the country by storm. It's everywhere. It's breaking all kinds of box office records and it is on everything. Uh, Matt, as our anime reviewer, what can you tell us about Kimetsu no Yaiba? We have an anime reviewer now. <laughs> <laughs> Kimetsu no Yaiba, also known as Demon Slayer colon Kimetsu no Yaiba <laughs> in the States and uh, and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a um, property that um, started life as a manga in the pages of Weekly Shonen Jump which um, spawned stuff like Dragon Ball and, and uh, My Hero Academia, all these popular series. Shonen Jump is like, has a greater cultural impact than like the Beano in the UK, right? Or like Mad Magazine in the US. I know what one of those things is, and yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, exactly. So Weekly Shonen Jump is, has spawned, again, all these, these quite famous um, manga throughout the years that have often been turned into anime and... Um, Usually aimed at, as the title suggests, shonen, uh, young boy, um, aimed at, at the youth, uh, especially boys. So let's just set the context. How how big is the buzz around this film? Well, it's um, it broke box office records. Um, it had the fastest box office take over a weekend, which beat the previous record holders like. Um, you know, Your Name was a huge hit, and um, 
Miyazaki's Spirited Away. The one that I kept seeing was that it beat Frozen 2. I did beat Frozen 2 as well, yeah. Another classic anime. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Without wanting to sound like a skeptic, is part of it just that there's been a bit of a lockdown and people are just glad to be back in the cinema? Well, yeah. If we break down the popularity of Kimetsu no Yaiba, I think we have to talk about the popularity of the no manga, number one, number two, the anime series, and number three, the film that just came out. All interrelated but slightly different reasons, I believe. Before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about what what's the story about? So it is set in... Um, early 1900s Japan in the Taisho era, which was between 1912 and 1926. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got Japan is kind of modernized, but people are still wearing kimono and things like that. It's about a young boy who comes home one day to find that his family has been slaughtered by demons, which is never good. Um, his sister has been kind of bitten by a demon to the fact to the point where she's turned into a demon, but not 100 percent yeah um so this boy's quest is to become a demon slayer and to somehow bring his sister back to 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 humanity yeah and this is popular with people of all ages like my girls have never seen it but it's all the rage at their preschool and so they come home talking about the characters they know the characters names mm -hmm. they dress up like them and I guess they feel like it's too scary for them to watch. They'll say, like, we're interested in it, but we think it's too scary. And they say that because it's pretty graphic from what I understand. Have either you sampled an episode or two? I watched the first episode, yeah. I okay. felt like that would be the least that I could do before we did this. <laughs> I, on the other hand, felt that the least that I could do is not watch any. It's not, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's bloody. It's it's bloody. Like you say, it's, it's popular with, with really young kids, but it does have feature a lot of blood and gore some yeah. some guts and stuff like that yeah so i guess what you're saying is it's not just the quality of the movie that's made it a big hit but it's all of the cultural legacy so why was the series so popular in the first place right yeah exactly so the the film builds on the existing popularity of both the existing manga and anime series so to start out the manga started uh in shonen jump in 2016 and it actually wrapped up this year so the manga is complete right. uh, as of July, I think. Um, That's rare, isn't it? For like it is. something popular to end. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of, that. I think this is all either my idea or the idea of people smarter than me that I've ripped off. So if you hear your idea, sorry, I, I, I stole it from you. Um, but one of the things that people have said is one of the reasons that this um, the series is is popular is because it's accessible. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I look at One Piece yeah. and I want to get into One Piece, it's what, a hundred volumes or something at this point? So yeah, yeah. the barrier the barrier to entry to that is is pretty intense. Hang on a minute. So you're saying the more podcasts we make, the less chance there is that someone's gonna to want to get on board. I think podcasts are a bit of a different story. Okay, thank goodness. Yeah, I think you're okay. No one should assume that our podcast has any coherence from episode to episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you look at a series like One Piece or like Naruto and it's like Oh, I heard that's good. Oh, I'm going to have to devote the next five years of my life to catching yeah. up with it. Whereas right. this, they they made the very conscious decision to end it after after four years. So I think the final volume's coming out in in Japan in December. That'll give it a collected total of 23 volumes. Mm. Um, manga is eminently readable. You can plow through a volume in a day. So you could 
in theory, get through it without devoting your life to it, you know? I don't think it's just a question of accessibility or how, how much time it would take you. I think it's also a question of quality because I do this with TV shows in the West. I go like, I want to know that something is a self-contained story and it's going to mm -hmm. finish and it's not just going to keep on going for ratings and for money until the quality gets progressively worse and I hate it. <laughs> Walking Dead. Like, I now know I'm not going to watch the Game of Thrones ever in my life because all the Game of Thrones fans hated the final season. So I was like, well, there we go. I'm not going to bother. And on, on the same note, the anime series, which um, came out last year, is about 24, 26 episodes. So it's another thing that you can catch up on fairly quickly. It doesn't tell the whole story yet. They're probably going to make another season or two. But um, at this point, you can catch up on it pretty quickly. Right. And what they were, uh, another thing that fed into the popularity of the manga was the anime. Um, people watched the anime, they really liked it. They went back and read the original manga to the point where um, at times it's taken up the entire list of the top top 15 best-selling manga has been entirely yeah, different volumes of the show like, series it, it, it sold over a hundred million copies as of this month it's pretty wild yeah there there have even been a rash of kind of kimetsu no yaiba inspired crimes i don't know how much you guys have read about that uh is it where uh, is it the one where somebody murdered a bunch of demons because i didn't hear about that one <laughs> I don't know if that's a crime to kill demons, is it? That's a public service. Oh, don't be anti-demon, man. I don't know. <laughs> we can't have you on the show if you're anti-demon. That oh, you know, that's, it's funny because it actually brings up a good point. Because one of the reasons I've heard cited for the popularity of this show is the balanced portrayal of demons. You know, I'm not sure that's particularly unique to Kimetsu no Yaiba, um, and this is something I wanted to touch on as well. That I I'm not convinced that this series is particularly unique and that's not a dig on it at all you know it's a classic story uh well told and the anime is 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 well animated but it is in the mold of dragon ball or other things that have been in shonen jump or if you go back even further it's kind of you can think of star wars or or any of those heroes journey type uh. stories you know it's it's a young man who who faces um, a challenge, has to go out on a quest, become stronger, learn new techniques, all to, to save his family. You know, kind it's of a, very it's... archetypal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that that anybody can can kind of respond to, I think. But having that alone doesn't guarantee box office success, though, does it? Yep, that's totally right. That's totally true. So so we, we've got this perfect storm of the anime being popular, the anime feeding manga sales. Uh, then we've got lockdown or at least the japan version of lockdown right yeah the voluntary lockdown earlier this year where a lot of people were finding um streaming services for the first time or using them a lot more than they used to and kimetsu no yaiba happened to be on multiple streaming services i know it's on netflix um it's on other services and uh, so it was kind of perfectly positioned to be this series that people were kind of talking about anyway now we're stuck at home. It's only 26 episodes, 24, whatever it is. Um, so let's check it out. Yeah. People people check it out. They enjoy it. Um, and then right when it's looking safe to go back to the movie theater, the film comes out. Right. So I think it was just kind of this perfect storm that led to the huge box office success. There's also very little in the theater um, 
competing with it. Tenet had come out, but that was a few weeks before. I think mostly the people who wanted to see Tenet already had seen it. So uh, that's another factor that probably led to it making as much money as Bobby, it did. Bobby, we should have released a movie. Yeah, you missed you missed the timing. Yeah. Do you think that this will take off overseas uh, in the way that other kind of like crossover animes have? So uh, the series has already been released um, in subtitled form. Uh, a few volumes of the manga have been released in English. It seems to be doing well, not as well as in Japan. It's um, ubiquitous in Japan. It really it is, is yeah, everywhere. It is. And I, you know, I hear all kinds of stuff. It's so like, funny, like the stuff that does well in America and the stuff that does well in Japan. Um, there's crossover from time to time, but um, sometimes just stuff, you know, people respond to things differently. Well, I, I like how Japan kind of still supports and, and there's such a large domestic market for Japanese made stuff. It reminds me mm -hmm. of the time that like Avengers Endgame was number one in all of the box office rankings in all the countries around the world, except for Japan. Mm -hmm. Where a Detective Conan movie took it, yeah, a Conan film was out was out that week, so Conan's going to take it. Yeah, why do you think that is? I was thinking about this the whole week when you asked me about it. So I think like Japan. I mean, there's the whole Galapagos thing, right? Japan goes its own way, but yeah, why? That's a that's a really good question. I think just the the culture of reading and enjoying manga is just so ingrained. People love Detective Conan. They do a film every year, and every year it's a huge event. And um, it just happened to be the same weekend as Avengers, you know? So it's at the point where it's so popular that Kimetsu harassment is a thing, Kimehara, where if you haven't mm -hmm. seen the show, people will be like, how could you not have seen the show? Or God forbid, you don't like the show. Just to be totally honest, I don't feel like I'm the target audience. Yeah, yeah, kind of <laughs> the same way. I, like... I can see that it's well made. I see why people like it. it. Again, it is a well done version of this classic kind of story. Right. Um, the animation's good. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm about 20 years too old for it. Do you know people who have like faced backlash for not liking it? Like in the reviewing world, is there anybody stepping up to be like, eh? Yeah, I, I've, I've got a couple friends who are, and this is English language stuff, so this isn't exactly, exactly Kimehara, though maybe it's become an international phenomenon now. Yeah. Um, there are some really passionate fans of the show, and I had a friend who reviewed the film, was not particularly negative, but said, you know, it's a kind of a B, a, a B plus film, yeah. and got a lot of pushback with that from people who, by the way, haven't seen the film yet. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of blindly. You don't have to see something in order to hate. It. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the opposite. This is people who love it without having seen it. Well, I'm a little bit afraid to come out of the closet as somebody who tried it and found that it wasn't for him. Um, I watched one episode and I, I can tell you exactly what turned me off to it. I have the sense that some of these kind of serialized anime shows are, are lazy writing. And I hadn't known about this going in, but I guess the main character's thing is that he's got a great sense of smell. And the way they set it up in the first episode was so obnoxiously lazy and beat you over the head with it. that The first time it comes up, they have him like solve a problem in the village by smelling something broken and was like, this was a cat that broke mm -hmm. this. And then immediately after that, on the way home, the guy, there's a guy who's like, come stay with me, it's getting dark in the woods. And he's like, I'll be all right, I have got a great sense of smell. 
<laughs> like that would help you find your way through the woods at night. And it's just so insensitive to Corona sufferers too, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, as we talked about, it is a manga um, aimed at young children. You know, yeah. um, people have ended up people outside of that category have ended up liking it, and that's made it a huge hit. But um, yeah, it's it's not particularly subtle. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who like it have told me that's one of the reasons they like it. It's very easy to understand. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not the most subtle storytelling. It's got, because right after that, they do it like three or four more times. Like he realizes that a demon was in his house because he could smell it. And he proves to some other demon slayer that he meets that his sister didn't do it by telling him that there was a smell he'd never smelled before. And I kind of walked away going like, well, it might have a nuanced portrayal of evil, but it has a very stupid portrayal of olfactory nerves. <laughs> I mean, one point that, that people have made to me that I found pretty compelling about its popularity uh, among uh, of above and beyond the people who it's aimed at mm -hmm. is that unlike a lot of other shonen jump titles or other anime and manga titles there aren't a lot of, a lot of gross sex jokes um, huh. even huh. even when you watch something meant for young kids yeah. like Dragon Ball Z or like my hero academia is a great example it's another shonen jump property and there are just close-ups of of tits and yeah and and the young guys going oh wow i'd really love to look at the, the girls when we go to the hot spring there's a whole and, character in you know, naruto who's like his whole thing is he's a pervert who's always reading yep. porn yep and the fact that demon slayer doesn't have that yeah um has has maybe made it more uh, yeah it allowed more people to to not be turned off by that kind of stuff yeah um one thing that i've heard from people who haven't seen the show will say that there's resistance to it because they don't like the look of nezuko who's the little sister female protagonist who's got functionally a ball gag in her mouth the mm -hmm. whole time and it's because she's suppressing her her demon side right but people see this and they go, oh, it's a it's a sexualized female character with a ball gag in her mouth and doesn't have a voice. And I've heard like a response to this that she's actually a stronger female hero than than you'd find in, in other other anime or manga. I mean, once you get to episode, I can't remember what it is, fairly early on, five or six, she starts to, to kick some ass. So, so she's into that too, is she? Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a completely free of any sexual elements, but it just seems like it doesn't have that kind of adolescent thing that a lot of those 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 manga do. Yeah, and I think that might bode well for it overseas, uh, not only with the current climate, but also because that stuff doesn't translate well in like a mm. kid's cartoon when it gets overseas. Totally. Yeah, uh, indeed. Um, the other thing that, that might help it do well overseas is that it's um, set in in kind of old school Japan, which a lot of people kind of like that, that yeah. style. Um, I think the reason that, you know, your name or weathering with you, those titles that did really, really well in Asia and did okay abroad, but not that well. I think one of the reasons was that they're set in modern day Tokyo and it's, it's fun. If you live in Tokyo, you walk around and go, Oh yeah, Yotsuya station. That looks exactly like it does in real life. 
but you kind of lose some of that appeal once you take it abroad. Speaking of uh, weird sex stuff in anime, you keep talking about your name. I might be confused, but isn't that the one where a guy comes in a peach? That's Call Me By Your Name. That's uh, a different Ollie, one. Ali, are you familiar with these movies? No, I, ha I have seen Flubber, which, which for me was, that was my sexual awakening. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I can see that. So Kimi Kimi no Na was your name, which was a hugely popular one, and then Call Me by Your Name was uh was like a, a, a like a coming of age story of two young gay gentlemen who I think there's a come in a peach scene that's like infamous. I haven't seen it, but I'm not into peaches. All jokes aside, it's a it's a really good film. Which one? Um, Call Me by Your Name. Okay, Your Name so, is okay. Yeah, I am much more likely to watch that one than I am uh Your Name. Bobby is absolutely guaranteed to watch anything with his name in it. <laughs> hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 58 of Japan by River Cruise. Thanks as ever to those who support the show at buymeacoffee.com. And an extra thanks this week to the brave individuals who valiantly put their email address in our new mailing list sign-up box on our website without having any idea how much we were going to spam them or with what. Uh, they've got their first bonus email already. And if you would like to join them, then please go to japanbyrivercruise.com, enter your email address, and assume that we have a privacy policy that works in your favor. And thanks again to our guest this week, Matt Schley. Uh, if people would like more from you, where can they look? I'm on Twitter at RhymesWithGuy, where you can see most of my writing and stuff like that. All right. Thanks for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next week.